Hello and welcome back to this, the Talking Dogs podcast. If you're new around here, well, where have you been? Um, <laughs> you've got so much to catch up on. Oh, it's really lovely to have you. Welcome. By the way of introduction then, I'm Graham Hall, but I also go by The Dog Father. I'm that tall guy on the telly's dogs behaving very badly. I've helped literally thousands of families and their dogs, and I'm really keen to make sure you live as happy a life as possible with your dog too which is why I'll take any opportunity to teach you what I've learned over the years. And that's what I do on this podcast. I share as much advice as I possibly can, and there's a chance I'll do a bit of storytelling about my time as a trainer too. So I went on a walk around the Cotswolds recently, and I had a bit of a run-in with some cows, and it got me thinking about how to keep our dogs safe and, and happy when we're out in the countryside. So let me tell you a story. I was walking around, and, and I live in the Cotswolds these days, so I, I know the area fairly well. Off I went, and I'd done about six miles, and I'm thinking, I've bitten off a bit more than I can chew here, because <laughs> the Cotswolds are pretty hilly, who knew? And standing between me and this yellow side waymarker post the other side, side of the field the public footpath there's about 20 cows and some of them had cows with them as well now going back didn't really feel like an option because it's like six miles of himalayas basically so i thought right I've, I've, i'm i am gonna have to bite the bullet and um, walk across this field so perhaps you've been in that situation as well you know so they're all standing there staring most of them were staring at us um smack bang in the middle of the footpath now they look placid enough but basically, who knows what's going on behind the eyes of a cow? Uh, I think they were probably plotting my my muddy demise. So I thought, right, I, you know, best foot forward, off we go. So there's me and a Labrador cross kangaroo, basically, alongside me. So it's like, come on, best paw forward, and off we went. And my plan was, if I sort of walk straight along this public footpath, if they're not moving, I'll go around the back of them, I'll give them a wide berth. And that's pretty much what I did. Um, they actually didn't move, and I've been uh, in conversation uh, recently with a couple of people from the National Farmers Union, because every year a couple of people are trampled by cows it's relatively rare but if you've got a dog with you there's a bit more chance that they're going to go for you because guess what a dog looks like a predator right and if you're looking after your your baby cow then there's a problem so the word from the farmers is if you need to deviate from the footpath and give them a wide berth and then get back to the footpath as soon as it's reasonably possible, then then it's okay to do that. So don't religiously stick to that path and try and split the herd and never, ever split a cow from their calf because that's probably going to end badly for you. It's important around any livestock, really, to have your, your dog on lead. But with cows, there is one exception to that. So if they did run at you, if you did feel threatened, then the word is let your dog off lead. And that kind of goes against the grain because you're thinking, oh, I've got to protect my dog, got to protect my dog. Actually, the thing about a cow is they're surprisingly quick in a straight line, but they're not very agile. So I, I went off to Google and, and had a look a little while ago. It turns out that the consensus seems to be cows will sprint up to about 20 mile an hour. And when they go, they really go. Now, we are, in theory, a bit quicker because the fastest ever human, Usain Bolt, when he did that world record 100-metre run, he hit almost 28 miles an hour. So, in theory, a bit quicker than a cow. But think about this. He's racing on a perfect track in perfect conditions. He's wearing running shoes. So he's like Lewis Hamilton, Formula One car, slick tyres, right? Now, our humble cow, she ain't got running shoes on. She's got cloven hooves. Ah, but... 
They're designed to grip on soft ground, a bit like mud tyres on a four-wheel drive. And, well, she's got four-wheel drive, and she's packing quite a bit of beef, funnily enough. Let's say supercharged V8 engine. So right now, we're in a field. And that cow, well, she's got plenty of grip. And, add to that, I reckon I'm not as quick as Usain Bolt. I know, it's a shocker. That cow's going to catch me up, but... If I let me dog off, if I feel threatened, and only if you feel threatened, only if they're running at you, then the dog actually can run faster than me, can run faster than a cow, and the big deal is they're a lot more agile. Because if you think about, <laughs> about a cow, it's a half tonne of beef on four relatively spindly legs. That's not a recipe for a fast, you know, whip around a corner job, but your dog can. So if you let your dog off, make your way to the other side of the field and call your dog, and this is, by the way, where a good recall helps, your dog will, will, will meet you there and get around it. You'll both get away with it, almost certainly. So there are no guarantees when it comes to animals, of course, but that's the advice from the farmers. I thought that was quite useful. You know, when to have your dog on and off lead, by the way, is uh, it's just a matter of common sense, really. If you're near any livestock, and particularly sheep, the dog's always going to be on lead, and you should walk into, you know, as I said before, uh, a field with cows with the lead on, uh, unless something goes horribly wrong. So that's always going to be the golden rule. There are times though where you can see for a long, a long distance, and you can just let your dog off. But I mean, don't let them off in a in a field full of crops. You know, the farmer's got to make a living, and uh, that's our food in there. But you know, use your head. The other thing is that um, there are plants that are poisonous to dogs, and um, you know, famously. Uh, you know, mushrooms, uh, fungi and all that kind of thing. So if you're particularly in a woodland area, if it's that time of year as well, things are a bit damp, just keep an eye on your dog. Um, I'm not a great fan of letting dogs off and letting letting them be out of sight for very long. Uh, you know, again, I think that just makes common sense. On the subject of plants that are poisonous to dogs, there are some quite surprising ones. Uh, one I remember from the past is, uh, is daffodil bulbs. The bulbs themselves, a tiny, tiny amount of a daffodil bulb can be really very poisonous to uh, to a dog. So if you've got a dog that's in the habit of digging around your borders, not so good. Um, I'm not an expert on plants, far from it. I'd struggle to keep them alive at the best of times. But there are loads of lists on the internet of you know plants that are poisonous to dogs. So if you're like me and you don't know, I would advise going on Google and just simply putting in plants poisonous to dogs and you'll get a list and of course from there you, if you don't know what that because it, the list wouldn't help me i'll be honest because i'll be like trichanthus whatever I've no idea but of course you can have a look for an image of that so particularly when it comes to your own garden not so much the countryside perhaps it's useful to know what's in your garden and just make sure that things are safe particularly if you've got a new dog Now, there's something else you'll find in abundance in the countryside uh, and indeed in, in towns and cities too, in parks, and that's sticks. Um, so dogs love sticks, right? Now, if you imagine a cartoon dog, they're probably enthusiastically chasing a stick or bounding around, very pleased with themselves, uh, with this huge branch hanging out one side of the mouth, you know, the kind of thing. Or two dogs attached to one branch even. But the truth is it's not always fun and games, as Laura's finding out. Hi, Graham. I was wondering if we could ask a question about our rescue Staffordshire Bull Terrier Gromit. The problem is he has developed a behaviour where he will go towards sticks 
and we can recall him back from the first two or three but the later ones when he gets more excited he will pick them up and then begin to eat them which generally results in an upset stomach the next day and we worry that it will result in him having to have a costly vet bill one day we've tried ignoring him using our leave it command which he's usually very good at or getting the stick off him which just causes him to go into full ball terrier mode and chomp down on the thing and just not give it up makes some really awful sounds and he seems to just kind of go into his own red mist of trying to chew this stick up i also got a message from a listener called delith whose westie has started picking up small sticks and either eating them or getting them stuck in his mouth now that means that delith has to fish them out often resulting in splinters and a bit of blood for her so yeah there are things that can go wrong with sticks first things first um yeah it, it is that kind of idyllic view of a dog playing isn't it you know running after a stick and a man throwing a stick and all that or a woman throwing a stick but of course it can end badly the first thing to note is that sticks they don't always behave themselves they don't just bounce and land flat and then the dog picks them up there are loads of cases every year that, that vets have to deal with where a, a dog's run at a stick the stick has just landed oddly and gone sort of straight up so to speak in the ground they've gone to bite it and the back of the stick's gone straight through the back of their, their throat or their palate so it's just really not a good idea I'm not a big fan of dogs playing with sticks I, I, I know a bit of a spoil sport but um, there are alternatives so you can buy sort of you know rubber toys that, have, that are meant to be a sort of a, a stick alternative you know a stick replacement they're often very tough rubber quite brightly coloured and they bounce usually when you get dogs used to them they quite like them so I'm quite a fan of those you find those in any toy store I'd, I'd much rather you did that than chuck a stick to be honest so you know back to the cases in hand here um, Gromit I love that name <laughs> Paints a picture of a dog with a big smile, doesn't it? I think getting him back on a, on lead for a bit until he calms down again before you go for the later sticks, that might be the way to go, Laura. What I'm thinking when I'm listening to yours is there's a lot of things you seem to be doing kind of right there, but the first stick, great. You've trained a recall. You've trained him to let go. That's fine. And then he gets a bit more excited, and the second one's mm, just about managed it, and then he gets more excited, and the third one, he's, you see what I mean? So what I would do is I'd go, right, first one, yeah, fine. Second one, great. We got away with that. I'd probably put him back on lead for a bit. Do a little bit of nice, steady lead walking. Good lad, yeah. Walky walk, walky walk. Fine, fine. Nice, nice. He calms down. And then you've kind of pressed the reset button. So by the time you go to another stick again, if it is a stick that he's playing with, as long as it's safe enough, then at that point, you're back to one and two again, if that makes sense. So in general, with anything like this kind of fetch thing, recall is basically what it's about. Fetch, really, if you think about it, is recall plus let go. So I would I'd be training those two things separately. Uh, really good recall on command, great, and I sort of let go on command. Or, indeed, and what I'd rather see if you were using a, a proper toy instead is training a leave it command for things that you don't want them to pick up because you never know when that's going to be an issue. And if you must remove the stick manually, just take your time, right? If there's a bit sticking out of his mouth, obviously grab hold of that and then wait and wait. And rather than, the more you tug, the more that's a great big game for the dog. And it, the natural thing is to like, give me here, give me here, give me here. And it, the excitement's all going up. Hold on to it and just look at him. You know, it's that attitude. It's sort of like, one of us is going to let go. <laughs> I've got news for you. It ain't me. 
Now, we've talked about the fact that being out in the countryside means there'll be lots of other animals around. And those animals will, of course, have to poo somewhere from time to time. And there's a high chance your dog might come across that poo. Now, Joe sent me a quick email saying, you know where this is going, don't you? Um, training is coming along nicely with our eight-month-old lab, but when she gets her flanking badger poo, um, what can we do to stop it? So please help. We can't be alone. No, you're not alone, Joe. You're not the only one. So badger, fox, famously. And um, basically any poo going, some dogs. Oh, and also if they come across, some dogs, if they come across, you know, the carcass of a dead animal, they'll do it in that as well. It's not very nice, is it? So why do they do it? Why do dogs roll in poo? Well, there's a reason. And it's thought that uh, they do it to sort of disguise their scent when they're they're being a predator basically so um so they can creep up on prey animals and the prey animals don't notice because you you smell like the surroundings so think of it as as the smelly equivalent of camouflage right now you may well say well hang on a minute my my pomeranian isn't a predator and you're right she's not um and pet dogs generally aren't really but we all know that's where they came from once upon a time so interestingly that after all these thousands of years there are little traits like this that still trace back to to that so if you roll around in fox poo you don't smell like a dog anymore you smell like the fox poo that was the other side of that hedge and then you've crept upon them i honestly think if you could ask most pet dogs why they were doing it they'd just go i don't know mate i don't know it's just great it's great it's great i love it so it's like yeah bizarre You've got a nose 10,000 times more sensitive than ours, and you roll in that. It's not exactly Chanel number five, is it? So, Joe, and anybody else who's got this problem, I've answered why your dog does it. I haven't told you how to stop it. It's very difficult because it is just, it's just in them, you know? So prevention's always better than cure. And I've had this problem, you know, with my dog as well in, in, in the past. And so what you got to do is you watch and you watch. When they're clever, by the way, they do it when they're behind you. They hang back, hang back. You carry on with your walk. Let's say you've got them off lead and you're in a place where you can. And they hang back. And then you think, where's my dog? And you look around and you say, oh, no. Right. <laughs> so try and keep them in front of you, right, so that you can keep an eye on them. And then you'll sort of spot it because they'll go, oh, I think. And it's like, ah, no. You know, you can, with a bit of luck, you can, you can just tell them off, basically, uh, for doing it. And then praise them for coming away from it. You may well want to sort of recall them and give them a good treat. So it's like, don't roll in that. Do come here. And, oh, look, I've got something a bit special for you instead. But what we're not doing, by the way, is just luring them away from it with a treat because otherwise the dog goes, let me get this straight. So if I roll in fox poo, bonus feature, I get a treat as well. Hmm. So you've got to separate the two things. No, don't do that. Come here. Oh, look what happens next, you know, so there you go. Uh, in terms of getting it off their fur, uh, lots of people have asked me this. I, I mean, they're all the sort of doggy shampoos that you, you can get. It just lingers, doesn't it? I mean, you, you've got to get them home and, and, you know, out with the hoose pipe usually. You know, I'm not an expert groomer, but you get a proper dog shampoo. Uh, I have heard people say fairy liquid, which, you know, I think it probably would work, but I'm not always, I'm not convinced that it's safe for their uh, for their skin. But there you go. Um, there is an episode on grooming, by the way, and getting dogs used to being groomed and washed and toweled down. So if you've got a problem with that, you might want to search back through the podcast and you'll find that. 
Well, thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Talking Dogs. Do tell me about the wonderful countryside walks you go on with your dog by finding me on Twitter, it's at Graham Dogfather, or Instagram at dogfather.graham, just to confuse you. Oh, and that's spelling, G-R-A-E-M-E. Uh, now, in a previous podcast, I did try and pronounce that in a southern English accent, uh, and the producer thought it was hilarious because it sounded Australian, so I'm not going to do that. It's simply G-R-A-E-M-E. There you go. If you'd like some advice about your dog's behaviour, do send a voice note to talkingdogs at avalonuk.com. I've made myself laugh. Uh, I could be answering your question anytime soon. Next week, I'll be here with a friend of mine whose voice you might just recognise. Now, in the meantime, make sure you do all the usual good stuff. Subscribe to the podcast and tell your fellow dog-earning friends about it. Now, look after yourself, your loved ones, and, of course, your dogs. Toodle-pip! Toodle-pip!